Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Tell It Abs It Is podcast, episode 32 on the Hockey Podcast Network and sponsored by DraftKings. It's everyone's favorite tournament of the year. The golfers are in Augusta, Georgia to compete for the coveted jacket. And DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is putting you in the center of the action by giving you a shot to land in the green. This week, DraftWings is giving you a free shot at $1 million when you download and sign up using promo code THPN. If you haven't tried DraftKings, this is the time. It's easy to play, pick six golfers, stay under the salary cap, and submit your lineup before the tournament tees off Thursday morning, then sit back and follow the action. The more red numbers they have on the leaderboard, the closer you'll be to winning some green. Rack up points for pars, birdies, finishing position, and more. Even though you may not be able to hit the course with the pros, DraftKings is giving you the chance to scratch your competitive itch and reign supreme with a free shot at the $1 million top prize. Download the DraftKings app now and use code THPN during sign-up this week. DraftKings is putting you in the action at the $1 million top prize. That's code THPN, and you can get a free shot at the $1 million top prize only at DraftKings. So what you are about to experience is the downsides of scheduled episodes, because as it currently stands right now, it is 11.50 p.m. East Coast time And the Colorado Avalanche just finished their last game against the Minnesota Wild, their second game. And so what happened here is I recorded the entirety of this episode, all 55 minutes of it, at about 3 o'clock Eastern time today. I started started a little early just because I had some extra time today. And I figured that... I figured that the Avalanche game against the Wild tonight would be a very good one and a very good chance that the Avalanche would lose this game and end their point streak. But I also figured that it wouldn't be so completely ridiculous that I would have to go back and re-record because I didn't think it would make the episode I recorded so far out of date. And I was completely wrong. I I don't think I've ever been more wrong. The Colorado Avalanche lose 8-3 to to the Minnesota Wild in what was one of their worst performances of the season. Definitely Philip Grubauer's worst performance of the season. Not even a close second. This is number one by far. And a serious reality check and crashing down to earth with the force of a thousand suns. This was one hell of a way to end one of the longest point streaks in franchise history. This was, wow. It started bad. It looked like it was going to get back on track in the middle. And in at the end, it just, it was already falling off the tracks and it, just completely derailed from there. The, the the Wild completely dominate early on. They hold the Avalanche to one of their worst periods of the season to this point, holding them to, I believe, a mere four shots to begin with. They strike on the power play a bunch of times. They're up three to nothing after the first period. 
nine to four in shots in the first period and then the avalanche do what the avalanche do in the second period they come back and start to take control of the game nathan mckinnon 34 seconds into the second period makes it three to one looks like it's going to be a game again and the next goal from minnesota four minutes later really showed that just they were not going to get away with it tonight philip grubauer did not have it whatsoever and Ryan Hartman makes it 4-1, to one, and then the Avalanche actually make it 4-3. to three. This looks like that it's going to be a game. And as fate would have it, no. No, it would not whatsoever. Tonight was not Philip Grubauer's night whatsoever, and it's unfair to put it entirely on him, but it's also hard not to because this was bad from him. Very, very bad. He makes... 11 saves on 18 shots for a 6-11 save percentage. And he got no help whatsoever from the defense tonight. This looked like an exhausted hockey team. A hockey team that has not had more than two days off since they played in Lake Tahoe. And as I'm recording right now, the game has 18 seconds left. This game has been over for... A little bit and I've just been kind of staring at it wondering man I'm really gonna have to go back and put a preface on this episode because man is it very very much out of date it's as you'll hear later in the episode I'm I'm very happy with the team I wasn't thrilled with their first game against the wild they won that one five to four I talked about that game at nauseum later in the episode or earlier today as I would have it. And I, like I said, I'll talk about it, but I was impressed that even though they played a mediocre game and Grubauer didn't play great, they still found a way to get two points out of it. They held on and got two points out of it. And I even said at some point in the episode that I wasn't going to be surprised if the Avalanche lost this game in regulation, considering they just broke the Wilds' two-month home winning streak. And like I said, I wasn't going to do this just because right now it's practically midnight and I'm falling asleep as I record this. I think I even say like, oh, it'd have to be like 10 to nothing. It'd have to be something astronomically bad for me to have to come back on here and note that what I just recorded is out of date and my opinion has changed. This exposed a lot about the avalanche. This was just not a good one whatsoever. The Wild get eight goals on 19 shots in the game. Jonas Johansson has to come in. Point streak snapped at 15 games. And the penalty kill struggled immensely against what is frankly an awful Minnesota power play. The Minnesota power play is their most glaring weakness on the team. And in these two games against the Avalanche, it looked phenomenal. The Avalanche, or I'm sorry, the Wild had five power plays in this game, and they scored on four of them. In the first matchup with between the Wild and the Avalanche, Minnesota scored two power play goals. And you know why that was significant? It was because Minnesota had only scored two power play goals in a game once up to that point coming into this coming into this matchup. They had two power play goals on six attempts. So they had 
less power plays in this most recent game and still doubled their power play production. The Avalanche also had seven power plays in this game and converted on two of them, but they just mistake after mistake after mental mistake. They just, they weren't engaged come puck drop. You cannot show up to a professional hockey game and not show up at puck drop. This is something that I had noticeably been concerned about the last few games. The first game against St. Louis, I noticed it. The second game against St. Louis, it became very prominent that the Blues came to play and they didn't, but they got away with it. The first game against Minnesota, they absolutely got away with having a a bad start to that game, and the the Wild only led one to nothing at that point, and this time there was no running from it. They had an awful start they were not there at all to begin with and the wild made them pay especially because the fact that like like i've said probably a bunch at this point i feel like i'm i'm rambling here but this was not philip grubauer's night at all this was his worst game of the season and this was the defense's worst game of the season devontae's on the fourth goal for the wild in the second period the ryan hartman goal just just an uncharacteristic clear up the ice trying to just get it out of the zone from behind his own net. Easily picked off Hartman, easily snipes on Grubauer. They just abused Grubauer's glove hand tonight. And it's just he wasn't even reacting to the puck tonight. It just He looked like a goalie that was completely and utterly exhausted, exhausted. And I can't help but feel a little bad for him. He's been worked into the ground so far this season. And as if as if the knife wasn't twisted enough in this game, Jonas Johansson comes into the net and the first shot he faces goes into the net. You can't even make it up. All three times that Jonas Johansson has entered the net so far this season... The puck has gone in the net on the first shot, and I have to find if he even faced a second shot in this game. He didn't. The game is now officially over. It is an 8-3 final for the Wild. Jonas Johansson faced one shot and made zero saves. So if that wasn't a kick in the ass enough to lose 8-3, Grubauer has officially become exhausted. You could see it in the first game, and it is unmistakable here and I was thinking during the game you know what I'd be okay with Jonas Johansson getting three of the next five games their upcoming schedule has a back-to-back in it and there's two games against the Ducks see two games against the Ducks on the road first half of a back-to-back against the Ducks second half of a back-to-back against Arizona and then they play St. Louis and LA I would have wanted to see Johansson get the next game against the Ducks, Grubauer get the first half of the back-to-back against the Ducks, and then Johansson get the second half against Arizona, Grubauer plays the Blues, Johansson plays the Kings. Uh, Now I'm like, fuck, because we're out of luck now. Uh, We just got to hope that something's going to work out here. The one thing that could have shattered my confidence even more was Jonas Johansson letting in the only shot he faced in Grubauer's relief because Grubauer should have been pulled after the fifth goal. It was very, very clear he just didn't have it tonight. I'm kind of surprised Bednar left him in there with when the priority 
is kind of to give him a little more rest. But Johansson letting in that one goal, even if it was such a meaningless goal to make it 8-3. to Kevin Fiala with a hat trick in this game, by the way, with the 8-3 to goal. Just a, just a brutal way to end what's been a remarkable run for the Avalanche. And just seeing how exhausted they are now in this game, just it kind of makes what they did during this point streak even more impressive when I really think about it because this is there's no way this is a new thing. They haven't had back-to-back days of rest, I believe, since Lake Tahoe. I'd have to look, but there's the three-day break between Vegas games. And I'm looking at the schedule right now. No, they have not had more than two days off the entire time. And they do not have more than two days off for the rest of the season. They have three back-to-backs and zero times where they have two days of rest. So if exhaustion is the real problem tonight, I have some very very bad news for what is upcoming the rest of this season. Fortunately, you are done with Minnesota after today. Yes, they won this one 8-3, and that's going to be the final memory of this series, but the Avalanche won the season series. They went 5-2-1. They got 11 points against the Wild, compared to the Wild, I believe, 6. And if they... The earliest these guys can meet again would be the first round if Vegas comes back to pass the Avalanche, but the Vegas had their own problems tonight. They got shut out by the Blues 3 to nothing. So if there's a silver lining to be taken out of any of this is that Vegas gained no ground at all. They had their own embarrassing game tonight against the Blues, and the Avalanche are doing still just fine in their quest to win the division. And they're still six points ahead of Minnesota. Minnesota has a game in hand. I really don't see how Minnesota can close that gap without both Vegas and Colorado collapsing in front of them. It's the Avalanche's division to lose. Let's make no mistake here. This is one loss. They were one day away from going an entire month without a regulation loss, as I will mention in the upcoming episode. This is going to be a very disjointed episode because I am recording this after I recorded the first one, and this game just went so horrifically bad that I could not in good faith call myself a host and just act like that didn't happen as the podcast I recorded was scheduled to be uploaded. I I had to come in and just acknowledge what just happened and at least try to sound like I know what I'm talking about after the one of the worst losses of the season and did such a dramatic end to our famed point streak. I couldn't just post an episode where I'm like, oh, well, they played very well and things are looking pretty good right now. And oh man, Arizona, I'm going to talk a lot about Arizona in this episode too and just how little I actually want to play them. But this this was this was real bad. <laughs> this was a very, very bad hockey game from the Colorado Avalanche. They outshoot Minnesota 32 to 19 in this game. But the difference is is that Minnesota scored on eight of those plays. This was 
bad. When Minnesota turned it on, they scored on pretty much every chance they had. Even the saves that Grubauer made in this game, he looked like he was fighting to hold on to those pucks. There was a certain one, I think it was after the, the fourth or fifth goal, he makes a routine saves and he's juggling the puck all over the place. He, he just looks like a guy that could use from just a few days of eight hours of sleep and ice baths and just relaxation. I don't I don't want him near a hockey rink for the next few days, but do you want Jonas Johansson in the net? I think I think you have to play Jonas Johansson against the Ducks next game. I don't think you have a choice. I think you have to do it. You can't put Grubauer back in the net when he's this like out of it right now. It's exhaustion. No goalie in the league has faced this much like pressure this season he's been in pretty much every game I can probably count on barely more than one hand the amount of times that Grubauer has not been in the net this season I can't really blame him for having a bad game like not at all actually and this this was more than a bad game this was awful this is like the kind of performance that would knock you out of Vesna voting bad but like what can you do at the end of the day we've all been worried about this we've been waiting for the regression we've been waiting for him to be tired what are you supposed to do Jonas Johansson has to get the next game and if you don't trust Jonas Johansson to start against the goddamn Anaheim Ducks then you shouldn't have made the trade in the first place and you need to go out and get a goalie tomorrow like that's as simple as this is the trade deadline is on Monday and if you can't trust Johansson to play against the Ducks or the Coyotes, or anyone for that matter. I mean, maybe don't play him against Vegas at the end of the month, but against everyone else, you really should have no problem playing in it. And if you can't trust him in those games, then you shouldn't have gotten him at all. Then you should have gotten somebody better if you, like, it's just as simple as that. You can't start Grubauer next game. He needs to get some rest. I'm fine with playing Grubauer on the 11th against Anaheim, but I still think you have to give Johansson three of these games. I think it should be on the 9th against Anaheim, the 12th <clears throat> against Arizona, and the 15th against the Kings. And just see where Grubauer can be in the, the first half of the back-to-back against Anaheim and the first road game against the Blues on Wednesday. I don't think you can put this guy back in the net and expect good results, but... The Avalanche's 15-game point streak comes to an end in dramatic fashion in an 8-3 loss against the Minnesota Wild. And if you want to hear me talk about the first game, uh, stick around. I will get to my previously recorded podcast in a few minutes, talk about the first game and how I just, I rave more about the team. I felt like I was almost running out of things to talk about, and in hindsight, maybe I should have kept my mouth shut, but... I still feel like the rest of that episode, now that I got this out of the way, is up to date to cover what happened before this game. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this rant, I guess, if you want to call it that. The game hadn't even wrapped up when I started recording, but there was no point in watching it anymore. And I, like I said, I could not in good faith allow that episode to air after something as dramatic as that happens for this team. So 
Hope you enjoyed this rant and now back to your regularly scheduled programming of what was once a much happier host of a Colorado Avalanche podcast. Thanks. Your originally scheduled podcast starting now. So another game in the books for the Colorado Avalanche as they take down the Minnesota Wild 5-4 to four to push their point streak to 15 straight games while also ending the Minnesota Wild's 11-game home winning streak. The Wild had not lost a game on their home ice since January 30th, which I just... I had no idea about. I knew the Wild had been good on home ice. I had no idea they that they were that good on their home ice. And the and the Avalanche didn't even play their best game in this one. I'd say they survived a mediocre performance and a late pushback from Minnesota and found another way to get two points in a very tough road barn. I mean, the Avalanche certainly were the better team in this game, make no mistake, but that's exactly my point. I think for most other teams in the league, this game probably ends in a loss. There were more than a few cracks shown in the armor of the Avalanche tonight, and the Wild played their best game, but when the Avalanche decided to turn it on, the game was over. Got off to a slow start. The first period was not a good one for the Avalanche. The Wild jumped on them early and outshot them early. Finished the period outshooting them 11 to 6 and up 1 to nothing on a Ryan Hartman goal. Avalanche didn't have a ton of answer in that game, or at least in that first period, and com- just made completely irrelevant 90 seconds into the second period. Nathan McKinnon burns past everyone on the Minnesota Wild defense. 19 seconds into the period, it's a tie game, and then. Barely a minute later, Andre Burakovsky makes it a 2-1 game. The Avalanche go up, and they stay up. And they finish the second period with a 4-1 lead. Third goal from Brandon Saad. Fourth one from JT Kompfer on a deflection of a Kale McCarr shot. Little bit of controversy on the Brandon Saad goal due to Brandon Saad cross-checking Jared Spurgeon down in front of the net. And no call. Saad burying the puck past Cam Talbot at that point. Understandably, Wild fans were upset at that turn of events that now it's a two-goal game and there was a penalty committed in front of the net. But the thing is, is like the way that we have established what cross-checking is, which is barely anything at all, is that cross-checking in front of the net is just fine. They don't call it. They never call it. And until there is a mandate to call it, they never will. I mean, the difference between cross-checking in front of the net and cross-checking not in front of the net was pretty well illustrated about two minutes later. Miko Rantanen takes a baby soft cross-checking call at center ice that puts the Wild on the power play. Meanwhile, this one went uncalled and the Avalanche got rewarded for it. I just They don't call that in front of the net. I would... In my unbiased opinion, I would like them to call that because that's cheating and you shouldn't be allowed to do that. But if they don't call it for anybody else, I don't want them to call it for the abs. And that's exactly how it went down. And this second period just showed that Minnesota can't hang with the abs whatsoever. As if you needed any more proof from the two games in Colorado that Minnesota just can't hang with these guys. Once Colorado turned it on for just one period, the game was over. 
Minnesota outplayed them in the first. Colorado was very sluggish. 90 seconds into the period after they just apparently decided that we are now going to dominate this game, they did. Outshoot them 20-5 to in the second period. Score four goals, two of them in about 90 seconds. Minnesota can't hang with them. They can't hang with them at 5-on-5. Five five. This became a game in the third period. The Wild score three goals in the third period. And Landeskog's power play goal at about seven minutes into the third period holds up as the game winner. They had to survive a little bit in this game, but they did. So no real problems there. Philip Grubauer did not have a great night. Four goals on 25 shots and three goals in the third period on just nine shots. They weren't like soft goals, but he seemed to just be flailing a lot and caught out of position. Like, I'm not going to say like he was awful, but he could have been a lot better. I mean, and when you add all of that up and you add the fact that Minnesota also had six power plays against the Avalanche's three, and it's really two because the Avalanche got a power play with nine seconds left in the game, that so that hardly counts for anything. I mean, literally with nine seconds left in the game, Nick Bonino slashes a stick out of Devontae's hands and pretty much ends their comeback bid there. And I guess people were upset about that for some reason, considering the fact that the Wild had six power plays compared to the Avalanche's two at that point. And the, the, the Wild ended up scoring two goals on the power play, which is something that they had not done or had only done once up to this point all season and the only other team that haven't hasn't done it at least twice is New Jersey the Minnesota's power play is dreadful it's one of the worst in the league I don't have it in front of me but I'm I'd put a lot of money on it being bottom five because I, I remember a time not so long ago where it was like last I don't think it's gotten any better sense and these two power play goals came in the final two goals of the game from Johansson and Kevin Fiala but this was a game where the Avalanche didn't even play their best. Their stars showed up, but there were cracks in the armor. Like I said, a sloppy start, goaltending wasn't great, a lot of penalties go the other way, take some dumb penalties ourselves, like the Ryan Graves penalty that led to the 5-4 to four goal. And even then, they come out of the game with two points. You know, I kind of I feel like I'm running out of things to say at a certain point, like... This team's just really, really good. 15 games with a point in a row. The only two losses in that stretch were Jonas Johansson's first game against Arizona, where they blew a 4-2 lead in the third period, That they, they a game they win with Philip Grubauer in net, and a game that they might have won in overtime if we had proper overtime rules, but instead we go to a shootout, and at that point I consider it a draw. And the one game that they deserve to lose in this entire stretch, they did. They lost in overtime to Vegas. And I'd say that getting a point out of that game is great because it showed that even when the Avalanche aren't playing their best and are met with an equal, they can still go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them and steal a point from that game. And they've won the other 13. Like, there's really nothing to complain about. And this has just been par for the course. Obviously, it's impressive to go into Minnesota and win a game where Minnesota hasn't lost a game on their home ice in over two months. That's a that's a crazy stat, by the way. January 30th since 
Minnesota had last lost a home game. They've been dominant. And they're 13-4 and four on their home ice so far this season. 13-3 and three before this game. It's just, an, it's just another thing to add to the resume this season for the Avalanche. Just in streak versus streak, one of them has to end and theirs keeps going and the Wild have to start a new one. I like I I legitimately feel like at a certain point I'm just running out of things to say. Nathan McKinnon has turned it on recently. He is absolutely lighting it on fire in especially his last 3 games. That's terrifying for the rest of the league. He has 4 goals in his last 3 games. He's on a ridiculous point streak. Ever since the the second game against Vegas, he has at least 1 point in every game. I mean, and let's look at that. His current point streak now has reached six games, an assist in the second game against Vegas, two assists against the Ducks, two assists against the Coyotes, two goals against St. Louis, another goal against St. Louis in the second game, then a goal and an assist against Minnesota in the last outing. Nathan McKinnon is back, and he is back for good. There was never really a point where he was gone. He was always producing and at least putting up assists, if nothing else. He He's always still been the star center on this team, but I think even him would be able to admit that there was still a little more to give. You could see it from, I mean, this is a guy who we talked about being the second best player in the league coming into this season, and he hadn't been in that same conversation so far this year. There was always more to give, and now I think we're getting it. This is a game-breaking level of McKinnon that we're getting right now. And if that carries over into the playoffs, I mean, what's that? What's it really going to do? Make this team even better, even more scary? We're already the cup favorites. We're already leading the league in everything right now. What do you really even say? Okay, I guess Vegas passed us in goals against because they trounced the Blues the other night 6-1. to one. And we'll talk about that whole playoff race in the West later. But Nathan McKinnon's turning it on right now. Landis Gogg's producing consistently. Miko Rantanen's been Miko Rantanen. He's still at the top of the league in the goal-scoring chase. The depth is starting to come through more. Andre Burakovsky, while he wasn't... I wouldn't even say he played particularly well against Minnesota. He still records a point in this game, a goal, for that matter, and has started to produce recently, at least. A little bit of a disappointing season from him, but he's still producing at like a rate we'd expect. He's got four goals in his last four games and make that five points in his last or six points in his last four games. If you get more of that out of him, I think he'll be great. He played 11 minutes against Minnesota, which I think so far, at least this season is a season low. And it is. He's played 11-22 twice, actually, back on March 14th against the Kings. He played 11 minutes and 22 seconds. And in this game against Minnesota, he gets 11 minutes and 22 seconds. So I think Bednar hasn't been overly impressed with him either. But if he can find that role a little bit more consistently, there's no problem there. Again, Kadri hasn't scored in the last few games, but like, look at what I'm doing right now. I'm digging. I'm looking for anything that can even just be considered a talking point anymore. This team is absolutely killing it. 15-game point streak, and even in a game that's not their best, 
they just run over Minnesota for the most part. They really even like turned it on for one period. And by the end of that period, they had four goals and all they needed was one more power play goal to clinch the game in the third period. What do you even say at this point? The deadline's coming up. I guess they can add a defenseman or just some more warm bodies. But like we're, we're just counting down the days at this point. And I'm not going to be able to talk about the wild game that's happening tonight and will have been happened yesterday by the time this is up. Unless like something absolutely insane happens and I have to record. But there's not really a whole lot that can happen in that game that would just bring me a lot to talk about. Even even if like the unthinkable happens and the Avalanche lose in regulation, which we're coming up on almost a month on since that last happens, like, okay, they're gonna have to lose a game eventually, right? I mean, if it's not if it's not this next game in Minnesota, when is it going to come? You're playing the Ducks twice after this. You're playing Arizona, then the Blues, two games against the Kings, and three more against the Blues. Like, is it going to come there? The way the Avalanche have beat up on those teams lately, I mean, maybe one against the Blues? Like, I don't know. Like, there's no... There, like, it's got to end before it, the end of the month when we reach Vegas, right? Like... If we get through this game against Minnesota with another win after Minnesota hadn't lost a game on home ice since January 30th, like you can pretty much pack in the division at that point. At that point, we the Avalanche just win the division outright. They would be 10 points up on Minnesota. And pending the result of Vegas, St. Louis, I, let's just, just assume Vegas wins that one. We'd still be four points up on them as well. So we essentially clinch home ice at the very least with another win in that. And Vegas would still have ground to make up if we win this game tonight. And this is this would be our final matchups against Minnesota. And we would have gotten through the entire season series against them. You know, the big surprise team of the season, Minnesota, with only two losses, one of them being in overtime against our backup goalie. And the other one, just a, a meltdown game for the Avalanche. We lead this. We lead this season series five to two. January thirty first was the overtime loss to them with Hunter Miska in net, and the only other one was in Minnesota, the six to two game that just kind of got away from the Avs late, and the Wild scored three goals in the third period to make it really look a lot worse than it was. Now six two looks bad, but the game just got away from them late, and like. Those games haven't happened since. There's there's one instance of a game getting away from the Avalanche, and that was like a week later against the Sharks. And this team's been rolling ever since. Like, I mean it when I mean, like, I'm almost running out of things to talk about. Like, when the Avalanche turned, this, turned it on in this game, it was over. And it's been like that against basically every team they've played, even against Vegas in the first game. They're down one to nothing. In the second period, they give up a goal 40 seconds in, and by the end of the second period, it's 4-1. to one. They turned it on, and it was over, and win the game 5-1 to one against the only other team in this division that can even be remotely considered an equal. And they didn't, they didn't do it in the next game where they just turn it on, and they still got a point out of it. They beat up on the Ducks 5-2. to two. They destroyed Arizona 9-3. to three. They had five goals in the first eight minutes of the game, and... They didn't really have a point in either St. Louis game where they turned it on, but they still were 
they still deserved to win and found a way to get two points out of them against a desperate team. In this final game against Minnesota that's upcoming tonight, I, I expect that it's going to be a very close game, a very physical game. I mean, these guys don't like each other one bit. I think that much has been made very, very clear. There was a big scrap at the end of this game once the Avalanche were on the power play and they killed off the remaining eight seconds of the game. Jordan Greenway is getting into it. I was surprised that the top line was out on the ice for this. I have no idea what Jared Bednar was thinking for this. Like, Liam O'Brien's up here for a reason, isn't he? Like, for the, you know, the face punching and all that and getting in people's heads. I mean, there is no reason for the top line to be out on the ice with eight seconds left when you're on a power play and the other team has no chance of coming back. The faceoff is in your zone. Are you trying to score? Like this, that just sounds like a great recipe for getting somebody injured at a certain point. Like that should not be McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog's problem to deal with the frustration of Jordan Greenway and a wild team that didn't like the last call against them. And I imagine a lot of that frustration is going to carry over into this game. I mean, Minnesota has to be pissed at this point. The way we trounced them in Colorado and then do it to them on their home ice to end their home winning streak. Like, they're going to have to be pissed. I am, I imagine that they're going to come out with everything that they have. And I mean, if the Avalanche win this game, what's there to even say anymore? Like, unless something crazy happens in this game where, like, there's a big injury or it's, like, an 8-7 to seven game or the Avalanche lose, like, 10 to nothing, like, I just won't have a lot to say about it or really anything new to say because like it's almost become routine at this point the regular season has just almost become a countdown to the playoffs they're just going through it so systematically and efficiently that like even they don't seem that interested in it but and they understand that this is just an obstacle to the playoffs and if they can come out of this one with another two points 10 points ahead of minnesota and pull away even further from vegas it's not mathematically a wrap, but it's just as close as you can get. And at that point, it'd be it'd be difficult to not break the the point streak record. We're at 15 right now. A win or an overtime loss tonight would make it 16. And then you have two games against the Ducks. Two games against the Ducks. I imagine they're going to win that. And then you have the second half of a back-to-back -back against Arizona on your home ice. If you get out of this game, the odds of breaking the franchise-long point streak record of 18 games goes through the roof. This is the biggest threat to it. You know, and on the topic of looking ahead to the playoffs, like, when you really think about it, like, what is the weakness that this team has that can be exploited? You look at any other team in the division, I'd say they have the advantage at the forward position. Not even Vegas matches that, and I don't really think it's even really particularly close. On defense, uh, the Avalanche have the advantage there with McCarr, Gerard, and Taze. And while Vegas has Petrangelo back now and Shea Theodore and Alec Martinez, it's a make no mistake, that's a very good decor, but I, again, would take the Avalanches over theirs. And if you're putting up Philip Grubauer against Vegas's goalies, I'd say it's a coin flip, honestly. And I'm only using Vegas as a comparison because that's 
face it, Vegas is the only comparison in this division. It's a two-team division. So you put Grubauer against either Flurry or Leonard, and as a tandem, absolutely that's better than what the Avalanche have, but you can't play two goalies at once, can you? You have to play either Flurry or Leonard, and I'd say that there's really no big difference in the results for Vegas. They're both starting caliber goalies. And when that happens, I'd say it's about a coin toss. I wouldn't say either of them's been remarkably better than Grubauer this season. And Flurry early in the season was absolutely better. He was arguably the best goalie in the league. But he's come down to earth a bit. And Robin, him and Robin Leonard are pretty much splitting starts at this point. So what's Vegas going to do? Are they going to leverage that they have a better backup goalie than the Avalanche? There's only one way that that becomes important, and, and that's if Philip Grubauer is not available. So, like, what is the weakness here that can be exploited? Like, taking it too easy down the stretch and not being ready for the playoffs? Again, I don't see that as being an issue. Every indication I receive from this team is that they are engaged and, like, they're not just counting down the days. They're still playing these games. They could have very easily just been like, ah, it's not our night tonight against the Wild and just lost that game, and who's really going to complain about it? But they came back, dominated this game, and I think they I think they understand how important this all still is. Like, you still have to play the games. And there's just a synergy between the head coach, the leadership group of this team, and the rest of the team that maybe this all isn't that important right now, but we all still have to play the games. So I don't really know what the weakness could really be like it's something I've said over and over on here in the past when the avalanche play to the best of their ability they're not going to lose they just simply will not they'll outshoot you 40 to 20 and just win the game like it's really that simple the only thing I can think of is just like you'd have to get an absurd goaltending performance from your goalie to even have a chance I mean look at the last time the avalanche lost in regulation that game against Arizona where their goalie stood on their head and they got every bounce imaginable that's what it took to beat the avalanche in regulation a incredible performance in goal and ridiculous bounces all of them Arizona's way on just their few shots of the game this, that, that game against Arizona was really when it became noticeable just how much the Avalanche were destroying their opponents every single night. They outshot them 35-14 to 14 in that game, and they absolutely deserved to win, but they couldn't get any bounces their way, and I forget who was in net that night. I'm pre- Actually, no, I do remember. Ranta was in net to begin, and or no Kemper was a net to begin and Ranta had to come in because Kemper had a nagging injury that he just had to leave the game for and they both played absolutely out of their minds in this one and that's what it took to beat this avalanche team and that was the beginning actually of this stretch where they just dominated teams night in and night out because before that obviously the games against the Sharks and the Ducks were not impressive and this streak started with a 2-1 to overtime win against Arizona where they outshot them even worse than they did. And since then, it's just been 
smooth sailing pretty much and if they if they get through this game tonight against Minnesota they will ha- they will reach a month without a regulation loss cuz they don't play tomorrow they don't play until the 9th when they hit the road to play the Ducks again so at bare minimum even if they have a meltdown against the Ducks and lose that in regulation they will have gone an entire month without a regulation loss so as of right now I don't see a weakness that can be leveraged at the moment I don't see a team, especially in this division, that has the ability to exploit anything that the Avalanche might be lacking. I think the slow starts have become a little bit of, not an issue, but a pattern. And I noticed it again in this game that the Wild came out firing and the Avalanche just took a little bit to find their legs. It happened in both games against St. Louis. That's something that obviously I wouldn't want to see in the future. I don't want to just keep dominating every game in the second period after a slow start, eventually that is going to hurt you and you're not going to be able to come back. You need to play for 60 minutes, but it's just such a nitpick at this point because they know. They clearly knew they didn't have a great period, and they even said after the game, it's not like Bednar had to say anything to them. They knew what they needed to do, and they went out and did it, and they had the lead within 90 seconds of stepping back out on the ice for the second period. So... When we do eventually get to the playoffs, like, who's going to match them? Vegas, maybe they can. They've proven more successful than anybody else at doing it. Minnesota has proven that they can't when the Avalanche play to their best. They just simply cannot. And if they can't beat the Avalanche on their home ice, then forget about a playoff series. They won't have a chance in that one. So it's not either of those two. And the rest of the teams in this division are pretty bad. And if the Avalanche win this division, which it looks like they're poised to do, we're not playing Vegas or Minnesota in the first round. They're going to be locked into that 2-3 and three spot. And the way it looks right now, it's looking like it's going to be the Arizona Coyotes getting that fourth spot in the West and meeting the Avalanche in the first round. And I got to say that that is boring. We did this already. We played Arizona last year, and it went exactly how it should have. Arizona's goalies stood on their head for the first few games. It didn't matter because they don't have offense, and the Avalanche eventually broke through and won the first two games. Arizona got one off the backs of their goalies and finally being able to score goals. And the final two games, 7-1, 7-1, outscore them 14-2, Goodbye, Arizona, on to the next round. And Arizona right now is five points up on St. Louis and San Jose. And St. Louis and San Jose both have a game in hand on Arizona. But that's only going to take them, if they win that, that's only going to take them to being within three points. So it's Arizona's spot to lose right now. And that's just so disappointing to me, honestly. Like, I'm not interested in that series whatsoever. I was saying it last episode that, like, that's such a mismatch, and it's just not even interesting to watch. The only way this series is interesting is if the Avalanche do do poorly in it. If they don't do poorly, then it's not a series at all. It's not a question of who will win. This would be the most, like, lopsided matchup in the entire playoffs. Arizona cannot hang with the Avalanche. I'm not afraid to say this and put it out there. It's just true. 
We did this dance last year in the playoffs. We played them and annihilated them. And the teams that met last year was a weaker Avalanche team than the one we have right now and a stronger Arizona team than the one that is out there right now. And now they're going to meet again in the playoffs when the Avalanche have now turned into a juggernaut and Arizona is a vulture picking at the corpses of the Blues and Sharks to get that final playoff spot in a terrible division. Forgive me for not being very interested in that. The last game we played against Arizona, like I mentioned earlier, was 9-3. to Now, I know Arizona's been missing both their goalies, but Aiden Hill is not a bum. He's played well against other teams not named the Avalanche. And I just don't find anything interesting in this series. I would rather play the Blues, and I mean that. I know that would be a tougher series, and that's what I want. I want a tougher series, and I, I just want exciting matchups in the playoffs. Just as a fan of hockey as a whole, I want exciting matchups. The The Avalanche and Blues, while the Avalanche would be extraordinarily heavy favorites, I'd still want to get up and see that series. And you know, like, if you switched Vegas and Colorado and had Minnesota and Arizona as three and four, I would be much more interested in an Avalanche wild series and a vegas arizona series that would just make for better hockey vegas and arizona they just arizona's not good so the the rivalry that the nhl was planning to have between them has just never panned out but a playoff series between them would still be like mildly interesting and the avalanche and wild hate each other that'd be that would be a series that i know the avalanche would get up for and that i would get up for that i would count down the days to every time I just can't find a way to even get excited about a series against the Arizona Coyotes again. Again, we did this last year. And the thing is, I'm fairly certain that Arizona still has to sell because they don't have any draft picks. And there's no way that they can delude themselves into thinking that they're a good team here. Sure, you can look at yourself in a playoff spot right now and be like, okay, great, we'll make the playoffs for two years in a row. But you look at the future of this team, and it is dark. It is very, very dark. They have no first-round pick this year because it was stripped from them because they tried to cheat in the draft with testing the prospects early. They have two second-round picks, and they don't have their own third-round pick. And... If you're in their front office right now, you see yourself in the playoffs, you see your lack of draft picks, and you see that you don't have an outstanding prospect pool coming up, and you see just the 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 meh core that's here, just the very bare bones of a team here. It's a it's a fine hockey team. It's a it is an NHL team with NHL players on it. Jacob Chikrin has emerged as a very good defenseman. But, like, Clayton Keller is their top guy, and Connor Garland has emerged as, like, their top goal scorer. Phil Kessel's bounced back a little bit to form, but, like, we're scraping the barrel here. I just don't see a way where that series is interesting. And, like I was saying, the Coyotes still have to sell. They're going to have to sell on maybe an Alex Goligowski or Jason Demers, Jordan Osterley, like, they got to get some of these picks back. They cannot possibly think it's a good idea to hold, to hold still and try to make the playoffs when they know they're going to be matched up with Colorado 
in the first round and an outside chance of them being matched up with Vegas in the first round. Now, I know Arizona has two very good goalies in Kemper and Ranta, but they're both hurt right now. And we did this with them last year with Kemper and Ranta in net, and the series wasn't close. And that was a better Coyotes team that had the likes of Taylor Hall on it, and now they don't have that at all. And this is a franchise that has undergone, like, a lot of turmoil just even in the last season with the whole reports of how toxic their ownership group is and everything that has happened since the Avalanche beat them in the playoffs last year, the whole draft fiasco. And again, like, if you give, you give me a month, I'll find something to look forward to in this series. If, you, if there's something, these teams don't like each other at all. Nathan McKinnon threw a helmet at somebody last game. Yeah, I'd say these teams aren't very big fans of each other. And they'd, there'd be a lot of pushing and shoving in this series. But this is a series that goes five games maximum. If Arizona pushes it six, that would be shocking. I mean, just look at them. They're a minus 11 in goal differential. They've scored 107 goals. They've given up 118. The Avalanche completely wrecked them in every category. They have a losing record on home ice. They're barely 500 on the road. And yeah, they're 7-2-1 and one in their last games, but who have they played? Like, really, like, who have who have they played in their last few games? Like, I know they've beat up on the Kings a little bit recently. And, yeah, they beat up on the Ducks recently. They're currently in a series with the Kings. They beat up on the Sharks pretty badly, and they had to run into the Avalanche a few times. And what do you know? Those are their three losses in their last ten yeah, you look at the, their last 10 games teams against teams not named the Avalanche. It's been the Ducks, the Sharks, and the Ducks and the Kings, the bottom feeders of this division. So yeah, Arizona's on a winning streak right now, and apparently that's enough to get them into a playoff spot because apparently St. Louis is even worse right now. Like that, That's just a brutal sell to me. Like I'll, I'll watch it, make no mistake. Like I'm going to watch this series without a doubt. But man, like that's just a little bit of a letdown, isn't it? We did this with them already. They're we've proven this season they can't hang with us. Like at least St. Louis has hung with us in their games this season. Like the first two games of the season, the Blues beat us in the first one, and then the, obviously the second one was eight to nothing with Billy Husso in net. The back to back from last week, the Blues at least hung around. They were games. They felt tense. There felt like some sort of stakes behind them. I don't know. I'm just, yeah, it's a, it's an easy playoff series if that's what you want. It's about as, it's about as easy as you can ask for, but I don't want it. I don't want an easy playoff series. I'm like that. I don't like easy playoff series. I don't think that the last several Stanley Cup champions have had easy playoff series. You know, it's like I talked about last episode, Tampa Bay won last year, had to play Columbus who swept them the year prior and that whole embarrassing upset again you, you just go through it like st louis against winnipeg washington and pittsburgh against columbus it seems like a lot of stanley cup champions have to beat columbus on their way to the cup but unfortunately columbus is not in the west i don't know is there is arizona considered a columbus in the western conference i mean maybe but man i just that's it's boring 
call it what it is. That's a boring matchup, and Coyotes just can't hang with the Avalanche. They're going to play them one more time on next Monday, the 12th, and they're going to probably beat up on them again, even though it is the second half of a back-to-back, but the first half of the back-to-back is playing the Ducks. I was just hoping for something a little more interesting than that. When Minnesota got good in the beginning of the season, I was like, oh, they might get that four spot, and that'd be a very interesting series. I'd like to get that series from a long time ago against the Wild back where they beat us in seven games. And like even when St. Louis was still hanging around, like I would have been interested in the playoff series against them, the team that won the Stanley Cup two years ago and a team we have a little bit of an in-division rivalry with, but one that's never really blossomed. And like, you can understand my disappointment when now we're approaching the end of the season, there's less than 20 games to go, and the leading candidate right now for the first round matchup is the Arizona Coyotes, just the most lifeless and boring team in the league with no personality whatsoever and no challenge to be had whatsoever in that series. Like, I would rather face the Sharks because there's a playoff history there. And I know there's one with Arizona, but, like, we were the last team that San Jose beat before they plummeted back down to earth. And I think I think there's still pieces there for the Sharks that if they get into the playoffs, there's something to be said with Evander Kane and Logan Couture and Eric Carlson. Like, yeah, they're not a great team, but at least there's something there that can, if it comes around, make for an interesting series. I just don't see that here with the Coyotes. They're a team that we just beat up on way too often for me to take them seriously in a playoff series. I mean, hopefully the Avalanche aren't thinking like that. I don't think they're thinking about who they're playing in the playoffs yet at all. But once they get there, I assume they'll show up all the way and beat the snot out of these guys in four games or five games and move on. But just all the the hype I've had for the playoffs all year of potentially interesting matchups against teams that you've gotten to know very well. I was expecting it to be St. Louis. And imagine my disappointment if our road to the Final Four is Arizona and Minnesota in the first two rounds. Yeah, poor us with our week with our week first two matchups before the Final Four. I mean, I'm just talking purely in theoretical situations now, but. I hope the Blues can come back, like, no offense to any Coyotes fans, but I just don't find your team interesting whatsoever. I don't see a way where that series becomes something that even mildly interesting. The only way it becomes interesting, like I said, is if the Avalanche aren't good in it. That's the only way it becomes a series worth its salt at all. But before we do even get into like playoffs being a real thing yet. You still have to get past the trade deadline that's coming up this Monday. We're less than a week away from the trade deadline being over. And it's been pretty silent so far, which surprises me a little bit because I was expecting there to be like some moves to be made just due to quarantines in Canada and such that they have to wait seven days. I mean, it's seven days now instead of 14, but Since the Avalanche made the move for Jonas Johansson back on March 20th, there's been about, like, five moves. Like, the one big move that's been, if you want to call it a big move, has been the Canadians getting Eric Stahl from Buffalo. And that's really been it. 
So, so much for there being moves before the deadline to deal with quarantines and everything. It's all really going to come down to the final day. And as for what the Avalanche can do, like, I've talked about it before. Like, I just don't really see a ton happening. I see them getting a warm body on defense just to fill some of the gaps that are inevitably going to be left in the playoffs and even some of the gaps that are here right now. And when it comes to goaltending, I hear they're still in on the goaltending market, but I think Jonas Johansson can do just fine enough to hold the fort. And even even if Francois isn't back for the rest of the regular season, I think Johansson can be good enough to hold that fort until he comes back. I mean, how many games is he going to play? He's going to play one of them against Anaheim or Arizona. I'd, I'd assume it would be the one against Anaheim just because... We have played Anaheim at that point once already, and that'd be the second part of a series. And we'd play Grubauer in the the back-to-back against Arizona at home. And then after that, when would Johansson play again? We have three straight games against the Blues, but in terms of back-to-backs, there's only one left, and it's the very end of the season. Like maybe one, two, three, four games. You just pick two random games somewhere in here to get Johansson in the net. Do you really need to make a move for that? I don't think so. I think you got to win with Johansson in net. I mean, it wasn't an outstanding win, but it was impressive nonetheless. He was above 900, which is more than you can ask for from a backup so far this season. And I... The argument I see is, well, what if Grubauer gets hurt in the playoffs and you got to turn to Jonas Johansson if Philip, if uh, Pavel Francouz isn't back? I almost forgot Francouz's name because it's just been so long since we've seen him in network. If, if he's not back by the end of the season, it will have been since the second round against Dallas. But that's the argument. It's like, well, what if Grubauer gets hurt? Yeah, well, great question. What if Grubauer gets hurt? What are you what are you planning on doing about that? You, are you going to go get a Jonathan Bernier or a Linus Olmark on the the free agency market on a what if Grubauer gets hurt? Well, if Grubauer gets hurt, I assure you that Jonathan Bernier or Linus Olmark or whoever you want is not going to be leading us to a Stanley Cup at the end of the season. Like if Grubauer goes down, a lot of this starts to fall apart very quickly. You cannot get through the playoffs without at least a bona fide starting goalie. Like there's, it's just that argument doesn't make a lot of sense to me because it's not going to matter. If Grubauer goes down, okay, well, if you turn to Jonas Johansson or, I don't know, whoever you want, just just say Jonathan Bernier because he appears to be the, the most reasonable option if you were to go get someone. Is Jonathan Bernier going to lead this team to a Stanley Cup? I doubt it. Maybe he wins a series or two. Like let's like let's just say Philip Grubauer gets hurt in the very last game of the regular season. Disaster strikes, and your backup goalie has to be the guy that starts the entirety of the playoffs. And we're also assuming Francois isn't back. Maybe Bernier gets you past Arizona. I think the team's good enough to get past Arizona with Bernier in net. Do you get past Vegas or Minnesota in the next round? I don't think so. No, because. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you can't stop a puck, then you're not going to win. It's it's really just that simple. Maybe they do, but once you get to the Final Four, there's really going to be nowhere to hide, and you're going to need Grubauer to probably bail you out a lot in in that instance. So, like, I don't see the point in spending another draft pick or prospect or whatever to go out and find another goalie. I'd be more concerned with just filling in some of those gaps on defense because I mean we're 
we've had to we had to go into the the Kyle Burrows well in the last game. And great for Kyle Burrows, his first career game, he beat the snot out of Nick Bugstad and probably gave him a concussion. Now that looks like Bugstad's out with an upper body injury, like we can't guess what that is, but he fought Nick Bugstad, who's way bigger than him, and beat the snot out of him, and he definitely made an impression in his first game, but it's a, we're reaching into that part of the well at this point, and Jacob McDonald has played 26 games this season. Like, if you can just get another body in there, that would be great at this point. I mean, Byram is hurt, and he's been hurt a lot this season. It might not hurt to just prepare for him to be hurt again in the playoffs. But your bottom pair right now is Kyle Burrows and Jacob McDonald. And Jacob McDonald has played well. I like Jacob McDonald a lot. He's been a big surprise this season and doesn't get enough credit for how well he's fit in with the team. But maybe just like another left-handed guy to fit in right there instead of Kyle Burrows. Just go out and find another warm body, maybe two. I mean, a fourth-line guy wouldn't hurt either since Matt Calvert's hurt again and is week to week again. But even then, Logan O'Connor, he can come in just fine. He's out week to week at the moment as well. You don't need to add anything to this group. Like, I was beating the drum for a third-line center at this point. The third line's been outstanding recently with Tyson Jost as the third-line center. He's been coming on strong as of late. And if that's how it's going to be, you don't need to spend anything at that point. We did our building in the offseason when we got Devontae's and traded for Brandon Saad, and that's what I think you should do. I think if you're going to make your big addition, you need to do it in the offseason. The trade deadline is for filling in gaps that come along during the season. Like maybe someone just can't score a goal and they're just, they just don't have it anymore. So you fill the gap with someone else at the deadline or injuries have come and you need to fill that gap. Like teams that need to fill like top six gaps at the deadline or like top four spots on their defense at the deadline, they're not teams that are going to win the Stanley Cup. The trade deadline, people like to point out the Lightning as a team that won the Stanley Cup because of the trade deadline. I don't think that's true. I think Tampa would have won anyway. I think getting Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow helped them. I think they overpaid for Goodrow especially, but they didn't add to the top six. They bolstered their depth with just a guy like Blake Coleman, but and people like say, well, now that's going to become the standard that like people are going to start trading for guys again. But that goes against all of the previous evidence that's come before. Look at the, the teams that have won in the past. I mean, even if you add the Lightning to that mix, they didn't go out and get the big ticket guy. Blake Coleman was coveted on the market, and they had to give up a good package for him. But he wasn't a rental, first of all. He's still on the team right now. And he wasn't the guy on the market. The guy that season was Taylor Hall. I don't remember everything from that deadline. But also J.G. Pajot was a big part of that deadline that, that the Islanders got him for a haul. I just don't think the trade deadline matters that much. And if you need to fill a gap like that, then you're probably not going to win anyway because you need to get the guy in and have him like readjust to a new city, new teammates, a new system, and a new coach. And that takes a while. And you see that a lot. So I don't think the Avalanche really need to do anything big. I don't like they did it in the offseason. They have Taze, who has fit perfectly into this system and is one of the better defenders in the league, even if he's like the third best defenseman on this team. And Brandon Saad, who's like hasn't come off the second line at all. He's been a great fit there. So no, I don't really see a point. Like 
Tampa Bay, they got Coleman and Goodrow last year. They were just good additions into their bottom six that they paid a lot for, but they worked nonetheless. And like St. Louis, the year they won the Stanley Cup, like they didn't really add anything. I think they picked around the edges a little bit with some moves. I don't even, I don't even remember the moves that they made because I don't think they even mattered at all. They didn't spend a first-round pick or anything like that. Like, what did they even do? They got they got Jacob Jerebek, I believe. That's a name that comes to mind for me. No, here's what they did. According to Cap Friendly, the one move the Blues made at the deadline was they traded a sixth-round pick for Michael Delzato. And I don't even think Delzato played for them in the playoffs. He might have, but, like, no, Delzato didn't even play for them in the playoffs. He was literally just a warm body on the outside. And the Capitals, the year they won the Cup, they went out and got Michael Kempney from the Blackhawks, who turned out to be a good, solid add on the defense, but that was a nothing trade at the time. And the Penguins, when they went back-to-back Cups, their big add was, like, a third-rounder for Justin Schultz. Like, just... They weren't necessarily holes that they had to fill, but it just wouldn't have hurt to bolster those positions. And I think there's just always a lot of hype around the trade deadline, and it ultimately doesn't matter. And I don't think the Avalanche are really going to do anything. I think they're going to get a warm body on defense that maybe can fill in that sixth spot. I hear Dennis Savard like a lot. Dennis Savard has been rumored to go to basically every team at the deadline. And last I checked, you can only wear one jersey at a time. I don't know if the Avalanche would be overly interested in him considering the the bidding war that's probably going to be going on for him. I don't know if they're going to get him for like a third or whatever. I think a more realistic options, like a player I brought up last episode, I don't even know if this would even be an option if the Red Wings are even trading him, but like Patrick Nemeth could be an option. You could start to bring that band back together and just bring in a familiar face. I don't think that could hurt one bit. Like just there's, There's a bunch of names you can pick from that are going to be cheap and just you can fill a spot on there. And if injuries start to come around again, like proven NHL guys you can trade for that can just step in and play NHL minutes because that's really all you need. Like you you shouldn't have to dig into the Kyle Burroughs well in the playoffs or like bring back Dan Renouf or Greg Patteron. There should be some NHL guy there. I mean, the Avalanche's depth has been impressive this season, and everyone who's come up has been has had that next man up mentality. But it wouldn't hurt to just have a few more warm bodies in here, maybe a fourth line guy, or just even then, like if they did literally nothing, I wouldn't really say anything because it just doesn't matter. It really doesn't at this point. The trade deadline for a team like this, the trade deadline's not that important. Maybe just for filling a few gaps and just having some insurance. They don't need anything. They're the best team in the league right now in essentially every single metric. Like, what do you do to add to that? Now, if there was like a if there was like a better market this year, there were better players on the market. I probably would advocate for maybe you just trade that first round pick because it wouldn't hurt. I would also advocate for doing it in the either before the season or way earlier in the season than the deadline. But like this is obviously an all in year for the team. They have a fantastic chance to win, but like it's kind of already done. You would just kind of be lighting an asset on fire at that point and then creating a roster jam. So there's really no need for it at this point. Warm body on defense, maybe one on offense. And if there is a deal, a a goalie, if you know the status of Pavel Francouz and you don't trust Johansson. Outside of that, I really 
don't see anything interesting happening, I gotta say. But that is going to do it for me today on this edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast. We will be back next Monday after the Avalanche play their final game against Minnesota tonight and two games against the Anaheim Ducks on Friday and Sunday. I'll record after that Ducks game on Sunday since it'll be happening a little earlier in the afternoon. I mean, the problem with being an East Coast Avs fan is that like a 7 p.m. start for Colorado is a 9 o'clock start for me, and that game's not going to end until around 11.30, and I need to sleep. But a 4 o'clock start in Mountain Time is great for me because that's 6 o'clock here, and I can definitely record after that. So we'll have three more games to talk about, and it'll be the day before the trade deadline. So maybe a move will have already happened. Maybe there'll be some rumors. Maybe they'll just be something a little more clear. Maybe there'll be absolutely nothing, but we'll all see when I get to recording on next Sunday. I hope you all enjoy your week. Let's see if the Avalanche can push that point streak to 18 and break that franchise record and pull away from Vegas and just continue their dominant run. I have been your host, Griffin Youngs. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and I will catch you all next time.